So now we'll look at the Google Big Data stack. And so here you can see an overview, and this is really 10,010-ish. So um, they already started developing this a while ago, and they typically publish uh, their systems when they're already using something new. And so this is not what it will look like today. And I'll also show you where the road goes from here. But this is really uh, something that influenced the open source big data stack and the open source big data systems. So based on these systems that you can see here, essentially people started building their own systems that looked very much the same or had the same kind of interfaces. And so you can see we have the same kind of stack, right? So we have the hardware um, infrastructure on the bottom. Then we have scheduling, file system, and, um, and locking. And then we have the actual uh, data processing and operational uh, processing. And on top, we have different kind of applications. So we have uh, index, the web index, basically. We have Gmail, and we have systems for graph processing, like Pregel. And I'll go through those um, step by step. So just think about it as uh, the same kind of stack. And um, I'll show you how this somehow relates to each other. And on the bottom, important, and that's what's kind of the, the idea that Google had at that time, is we're using standard off-the-shelf hardware. So because that, we can get much cheaper than using specialized hardware. And uh, we can also easily replace it and we can scale it up a lot. But of course, if we scale it or if we use standard off-the-shelf hardware, it won't be as powerful. So we need more of this. So we need horizontal scalability. And uh, on the bottom, we have GFS or the Google file system. And the Google file system is really this file system designed for big data workloads. And I also put the related papers here as well. So if you want to read uh, what Google designed, then you can also go to the papers and see how they wrote it up. And this is really the basis. So these papers were the basis for then open source developments um, where people started rebuilding these systems as open source code. So the Google file system is, is designed for big data workloads and has huge files. So for, for really large files, mostly appends. So you're not going to update. Uh, at the same time, you have concurrency and you need a huge bandwidth. And so in order to have huge bandwidth and to store a lot, you need many servers. And so this is, uh, of course, comes with the cost of uh, many failures. So if you have many servers, uh, then uh, failure is the norm. So you need an easy or cheap way of doing the fault tolerance. And uh, at the same time, yeah, making, making sure that everything or that nothing is lost. And so for that, basically, you have a, a, a primary secondary architecture. So you have the, the primary server and many data servers or chunk servers. And the, the master or primary stores all of the metadata and the monitors the chunk service and the chunk service store the actual data and sort of the data. And we'll go through this in more detail in the next lectures. And both the, the operational um, processing, so that's Bigtable and MapReduce, that's the analytics, operate on the Google file system for different purposes. So 
the big tables, for example, is used for reading and writing web data. So small insert, as I said earlier, and MapReduce is used for offline batch processing. Say, for example, index creation. And the Google file system really provides this common persistent storage layer for all of this. And I already said, on top of that, we have this analytical offline processing, and that's MapReduce. And MapReduce is, has two aspects. So on the one hand, it's a programming model. And this is, comes from classical parallel programming or functional programming, where you have these two kinds of functions, where the map function is something um, that you can apply, like it's a higher order function, you can apply a function to many individual data items, and the reduce function will aggregate the information later on, or the, the individual data items into, yeah, let's say aggregates in this case. And this, so the MapReduce framework use these two type of functions in order to build a large scale distributed data processing framework. So the framework itself has a very simple parallelization model. So by just using side effect free functions that you can apply on many data sets or, or large data sets using these map and reduce functions, you can easily parallelize everything. And you can see here again, we have this primary secondary model um, where the primary will just basically distribute the data or distribute the information, what data which secondary has to process. And everything is a shared nothing architecture, meaning that each worker or each secondary will be completely independent of the others and can just run um, by itself and thus also can run on commodity hardware. So it doesn't need like super high speed networks or um, very tight connections to other servers or let's say very large uh, processors. And so Google came up um, with this architecture and published it in 2004 in, at OSDI. So it's a systems conference and it was used for web index creation and many other data processing jobs. So anything that use, uses large scale data processing, this is where this really makes sense. And it was re-implemented as Apache Hadoop. I'll come to this in the next uh, video. Then besides MapReduce, where we do large scale processing, we need something where we can do this small scale data storing. So whenever you have individual users updating the data and this kind of stuff, then you need something else. And in Google, this is Bigtable. And Bigtable is still used, it's continuously further developed. So this is the Google's um, key value sort. And it's a sparse distributed, uh, persistent, multi-dimensional sorted map. So it's essentially think of it as a map, like the data structure map. And uh, it can be sparse, so you don't need to um, have like every attribute uh, filled. So, you, and it will still be efficient. So, in a database system, for example, typically <clears throat> you store data row-wise. This means if you don't have every attribute filled, then you just leave space on the disk. At the same time, you cannot adjust the file, um, the schema. Because if you add more attributes, all of the, uh, the rows or the records in your table will need these attributes. And in big table, essentially, this doesn't matter. So you can adjust the schema for every individual uh, record, more or less. 
and it's used because of that it's used for semi-structured data so it could be fully structured so you could store a regular relational table but you can also store something that has a changing or evolving schema so something like a url some kind of user data so your user data might have your name your address, your whatever, and then you come up with more attributes that you want to store. So think about your telephone book or address book. Initially, if you have it in a relational database, you have to think about all of the different categories that you are allowing. And in, in Bigtable, for example, you can add more. So you could say, well, this is a friend of mine as an attribute, or this is, I don't know, like a special anniversary that I also want to have in my address book. And in a relation database, you cannot do this. So essentially you, you start as with a certain schema and the schema is fixed. And here you can easily adjust this. Again, it can work with very large data and it's used for many Google applications. <clears throat> it's also used for the web indexing. So in order to retrieve this, for personalized search, Google Earth, Google Analytics, Google Finance, and everything. And um, it started in 2004. It's uh, yeah, publicly available since 2020, yeah, 2015, and it's been continuously extended. So there's also many other papers that you can read on this and how Google does this on a global scale. So of course, it's interesting how to do it on a single node or on a single cluster. But of course, and then at the same time, if you're Google or Alibaba or Amazon, you also have to think about how do, we, do I do this on a global scale? So what if my user goes from, I don't know, uh, Berlin to New York? Uh, well, the data still needs to be there, still needs to be accessible, and maybe even should move with the user in one way or the other. Then um, in order to coordinate this, on a large scale, um, they built Chubby, which is a distributed lock service. And it's highly available and persistent. And it's really used for ensuring that different users, different systems cannot access things in parallel that they should not access. So say, for example, in Bigtable, um, you have to ensure that there's not multiple masters at the same time or primary servers. So here you could essentially have the problem um, that if you have multiple primaries, they might assign different things to different servers. And all of a sudden your system gets inconsistent and it breaks. And the same is true for many other things. So uh, yeah, say for example, the schema, if you have, if you store in your uh, primary or on your job, for example, the schema location, this needs to be safe. So this should not be like written twice or three times because otherwise, or by different, different systems, because otherwise all of a sudden this diverges, the system gets into an inconsistent state and it will be very hard to, yeah, to get it back into a regular state if all of a sudden many users start changing everything. And so there's, for this, there's choppy, which basically ensures that, um, many users or, or many systems that try to access some critical uh, thing, some critical resource at the same time, um, that only one can then actually change. Maybe multiple can read, but um, the changes will be in one way linearized. So only, only the one change that you actually want to have will be saved or will be, will be processed. 
And this is done in a directory fashion, so it looks like a, a file system essentially, uh, but it has very small files. So you cannot store large amounts of data and the files then actually serve as logs. So one process, one server, one application accesses one of these files and makes sure that nobody else can then access this at the same time. And here we might, for example, store the master or primary node for our big table installation. And any kind of reads and writes are atomic in here. And Joby actually uses five time or five fold replication in order to ensure that nothing yeah, is lost at, during processing. So this means essentially there will be five individual nodes which all contain the same data. And within Joby, of course, there then also needs to be coordination so that the data is always stored in a consistent manner across the five nodes. And then if one of them breaks, you can still continue. So in order to do other types of processing, we also have Pregel. Pregel is a graph processing framework and uses an interesting vertex-centric approach. So essentially uh, for Pregel, a graph is always based on different vertices and then um, you do the processing vertex by vertex. So this means essentially, for example, if you wanna find your neighbors, so all of the people that you know, then you'll start with one vertex and in the next step, you will do a computation on uh, to find all the neighbors, all your neighbors. And then if you want to know the neighbors of your neighbors, you will basically do a next step that would again be uh, the computation with another, uh, the, the computation to find the next vertex that's one uh, distance away. And of course, the same is true for all these web documents, etc. So this is organized in these super steps. And in the super step, essentially you do a computation on each vertex and then uh, you do some message passing. So you exchange the information across vertexes that you need. And then there's a barrier and it will stop until all of the super, all of the vertices have been processed. And then it can be done in parallel essentially and the data can be exchanged. We'll hear about this in the graph processing in more detail. And then um, essentially, at some point, the, the vertices vote to halt. So they say, okay, our processing is done if you have an iterative algorithm. Or you say, oh, I only want to do 20 super steps, something like that. And interestingly, this is not based on MapReduce, but it's a separately implemented framework. But we'll see there's a similar version uh, or something similar in uh, the open source world that is actually based on the open source version of MapReduce. And then another thing that we have is Borg. So this is the cluster manager. So this is here uh, when, when I talked about the scheduling, this is what Borg essentially does. And um, it manages clusters in individual cells. Uh, so and these are then called Borglets. And in these cells, um, you have tens uh, of thousands of, or 10,000 machines. And in, in those, then you actually run individual jobs. So the idea is that say, for example, um, you want to create a new web index, so you need to process a lot of data. Um, now you somehow have to distribute this a different, across different nodes. So you're reserving a number of nodes and Borg will then give you these nodes within one of the cells. And 
in order to make this efficient, Borg differentiates between a production job and a non-production job. And a production job is something like Bigtable or Gmail. So this needs to have a certain amount of resources all the time. If Gmail or Bigtable all of a sudden get super slow because, um, I don't know, some kind of web processing uh, is going on, then the users will be unhappy and will go to Yahoo or, or I don't know, some other kind of company. And, uh, and at the same time, you have these non-production jobs. And now uh, it basically ensures that production jobs always have the required resources, while non-production jobs can also be yeah, stopped for some time or paused for some time. And in order to be efficient, it uses bin packing and uh, shares some resources. So the idea is that you can basically see uh, that how many nodes do we have in, in, in a cluster. So how many nodes do I need for this job? How many nodes do I do use for this job? And then you somehow or board rearranges this so that they're most tightly packed. And at the same time, each node essentially has the number of, uh, of nodes or not each node, each job has the number of nodes that it requires. And so this is a quick overview of the Google stack and um, the, well, let's say the main, uh, well, I mean, a lot, many of these things are highly influential, but really what changed a lot was MapReduce. And this is this kind of a way of how to easily uh, process large amounts of data. And by easily mean that a user with certain understanding of data processing, but not necessarily a good understanding of large scale um, data processing or distributed systems can still process large amounts of data. And this is what MapReduce really gives you. And this is why they started it. But since then, they basically already changed a lot. And this can we can see here. So it started in 2003, approximately. Then there was an open source implementation, which is Hadoop. We'll talk about this in the next video. And then they essentially started with many different projects and many different iterations in order to make this faster. And let's say all around uh, Kafka then. And so, I mean, I have to say that not all of them are actually Google systems that we have here. This is an image by Tyler Akidao, who is at Google. But you can see that there's more uh, advanced functionality uh, down the line. And so we started with the pure batch processing. And then all of a sudden, one uh, people noticed that just doing batch processing at a certain point gets, gets too inefficient. So you always have to wait for the slowest part and often underutilize your system if you're writing the data a lot. So then uh, people build different kinds of systems and people merge towards more of a stream processing um, way of dealing with the data. And so the latest installation of this is sort of the Google uh, data flow and then an open source interface to that, which is Beam. So with Beam, you have a, an easy way of accessing uh, different kind of system with the same type of uh, stream processing jobs. And with this, we'll switch gears and look at the open source side of things. So this was the, the Google setup. And now we'll look at how this would translate it into an open source um, implementation. 